Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. How many of you ever remember running at Interhouse Athletics at school? Maybe in primary school, maybe that first race you did when you were in grade one or grade two, when you were forced to run, even though you might be the kind of person that only ever runs when something's chasing you, right? But on that day, you were forced to run. And one of the biggest mistakes that you can make if you're going to run is focusing on your own footsteps. When you look down at your feet while you're running and you think to yourself, by looking at my feet, I will run well, what's going to happen is you're going to veer outside of your lane. You're going to be disqualified. You're going to trip some other kids. You're going to just cause chaos. But so often when we're running our race for Jesus, we are hyper-focused on our own footsteps as opposed to looking at the finish line, as opposed to looking at what we're running towards. What are we pursuing? What are we running after in life? And I remember uh, my first time doing interhouse athletics. I was super competitive even from a young age. And I remember running my race. And as I was coming down the home straight in a 400 meter race, coming around the, the, that final straight, I remember that there was a kid in my school by the name of Wayne McDonald. I know he now lives in Ireland, but I have no idea what's happened to him since he moved in Ireland, except the good thing is he stopped beating me in races since he moved there. But that first time I ran, I just wanted a medal. I wanted to be able to win a medal, and I wanted to cross the finish line first. And I could hear as I was running, the crowd begin to swell with excitement as Wayne McDonald was catching up from, from back there. And um, as we got to the line, I just started thinking, if I could just look at my feet and just make sure they're working properly, I could cross the line well. And instead of crossing the line well, I fell. Obviously, I'd thrown myself off balance. And Wayne McDonald was laughing all the way to the podium where he got the medal that I so desperately wanted. Later on, uh, I found out that Wayne actually was really good at running and had won many medals outside of school for athletics. And so one day I came up with a plan because I wanted a medal so badly. My plan was I would buy a medal from Wayne. And so I asked him how much he would charge for a medal and his price at the time. It was hefty at the time. I mean, you could go to the petrol station and buy a Magnum, which was new in those days, like a brand new Magnum, five rand. It's what a Magnum used to cost. And that was his price, five rand. And I was making up how, I was trying to figure out how I could save the money to be able to buy a medal from Wayne McDonald. You know, this is so much what we do in our own race. We don't necessarily want to pursue and, and take on the, the necessary steps and, and submission and surrender and, and, and just adaptation or change in our lives that we need God to affect in us in order to win the prize. Instead, we always want to take shortcuts. Instead of me surrendering my life to Jesus so that I can truly stand and receive the crown of righteousness on the day of Jesus, having that work completed in me, I'm like, well, what can I pay to take a shortcut? I'll just buy my medal. Sometimes we think we're going to buy medals by just showing up at church on Sunday. Now, showing up at church to church on a Sunday is a great thing. It's something you should do. 
but not in order to complete a transaction with God. I spoke to somebody this week that, that was struggling. They sent me a message, desperate 10-minute voice note saying, I, I'm in such a difficult position and I don't understand why it's happening because I'm doing everything God expects. So why isn't he blessing me? Why isn't God coming through when I'm ticking all of the boxes? And I said to him, the problem is, is that you're seeing this as a transactional relationship. Rather than just running your race and trusting God, you're trying to win favor from God or earn blessings from God. You're trying to buy a medal. We don't buy medals. We live and receive medals. We receive crowns because we have, we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. And so, so many times we try to take shortcuts in our living and in our service of Jesus and in, and in how we, we approach our faith. This is not a transaction. It's an exchange. The Bible says this exchange is a free gift. You get to give God all of your brokenness, all of your sin, all of your mistakes, and in exchange, He gives you a new life. He gives you a hope. He gives you a future. And then we live in that hope. In every circumstance, in everything we're going through, we live from that place of hope. We walk it out. We are faithful to the process that God has us in. And at the end, after enduring and after trusting and after holding on to our faith, we receive at the day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, like we spoke about last week, we receive the crown of righteousness, the reward of heaven and the reward in heaven for all of our works. Um, as we, we, we mentioned this last week, and if you, if you missed that message, you can catch it online, speaking about this day of the Lord, this day of Jesus Christ. But there's a miraculous work that God does in us as He transforms us. He, he asks us and, and calls us to a place of surrender. And then when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, it's like we lay certain things down have, with no idea just how incredible everything that God is going to give to us in exchange is actually going to be. We cannot ask, think, or imagine of all the things that God will do in us. But there's this miraculous work, transforming work that God does in us as He begins to transform us and change us. And it's, it's happening in you right now at this very moment. God is busy working in you, and He will be faithful to bring that good work that He began to completion. So between the start of the work, that first moment where you surrendered your life to Jesus, and the end of the race, where you stand before Him on the day of the Lord, there is a, a, a race to be run. There is a life to be pursued. There are, there are things that God calls us to. And Paul is really talking to the Philippians about how we can endure every season with joy, knowing that our joy, our happiness, the key to happiness is not found in perfect circumstances. The key to happiness is not perfect circumstance. The key to happiness is deeper. It's greater than that. It's the attitude that we run with that Paul is talking about here and the purpose of our pursuits, what they are. So the question today for every single one of you and every day, it's a question that life asks not only pastors. The question is, what are you running towards? What are you running towards right now? What are you busy getting closer to day by day by day? 
If we had to fast forward in your life five years from now or 10 years from now, what would you have become over the past decade? And how would you know if you had gotten closer to it? What would you have progressed towards? Everybody in this room is pursuing something right now. Unless you've completely given up hope in which you're pursuing apathy in that instance, everybody is pursuing something. For some of you single guys, it might be that girl that you noticed during worship. Not going to mention any names. You may be pursuing wealth at this point in your life. You may be pursuing health or career or upward mobility. You may be pursuing happiness and fulfillment in various forms, various ways. You may actually be trying your best just to matter, just to make sure that you've, you've lived some substance, that you've left something behind, that you've had some impact. But whoever you are and wherever you come from, even if this is your first day in church today, every single one of us are pursuing something in our lives. It made me think of the American Declaration of Independence, which starts with these words. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness, which is, this is really good. You know, liberty and the freedom to be able to pursue happiness in your life is, is what these founding, the, the founders of, of, the founding fathers of the U.S. were saying is, is the fact that people can pursue the life that they desire to lead within life and liberty. The only problem that we've discovered, however, in pursuing happiness is that pursuing happiness has the distinct ability to make you incredibly unhappy. Has anybody found that? The more you pursue it, the more it evades you. In fact, it often leads to the opposite of life and liberty. It leads to, in many cases, bondage and and, and, and hurt and pain and being imprisoned, being held captive by these desires that you were pursuing only to find out that they were pursuing you, that they now own you, that they now have, have captured your happiness and is holding your happiness hostage, that they're holding your happiness hostage. So it's led to the opposite of life and liberty. And that's because the Bible gives us the key to happiness here. It shows us what will produce true joy in your life. The reason why pursuing happiness so often leads to the opposite of happiness is because you'll never be happy as long as you're living for yourself. That's the upside down, counterintuitive, you know, front to back sense of the kingdom of God. That's what makes it so different to just what the world will proclaim is that the Bible says that we are first by being last that we are complete or completed in joy by emptying ourselves. It seems so counterintuitive because if, if you're focusing on your own happiness and you're pursuing that self-centered life, it doesn't matter what you ultimately achieve or obtain. At the end of the day, you still find yourself unhappy because you find out that happiness is not in possessions. 
It's not in things. It's not in accolades. It's not in, it's not in, 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 in the state you live in. It's not in what your bank account looks like. It's not in how many people know your name. Happiness is not found in those things. But we so often just adopt the culture of this world and say, I kind of know that that's a good principle, but really this is what I'm pursuing. We can say that we're pursuing certain things, but, but how you live your life will really reveal what you truly are pursuing in life. You'll never be happy as long as you're living for yourself. So the key to happiness, the key to joy, is to do what Philippians 2 tells us Jesus did. The Bible tells us that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He endured the agony of death on a cross because there was joy set before him. There was an ultimate purpose that was so compelling that he would suffer anything in order to obtain that joy. And that joy was that you and I would be reunited to God. That was the joy set before him. There was a greater purpose. There was a bigger plan that he saw. And so Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, having that joy set before him, he emptied himself and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross because there was a greater purpose. Jesus had complete joy even as he was suffering the, the agony of the cross because he was doing it for you and for me. There was a bigger plan. In other words, you're only ever going to be truly happy if you start pursuing something greater than yourself. Greater than yourself. And here's the good news. This is what our growth track is all about. God has got a specific thing he wants you to pursue. He's put you together in a specific way. He's designed you specifically to be able to pursue that. God's not going to ask you to run a race and then give you no legs. He's given you what you need in order to run the race. He's called you to run in the way he's called you to run it. And you just need to discover it. And in that, you will find joy. In that, you will find peace. In that, you will find happiness. You'll find energy beyond anything you've ever imagined. In John 15, 8 to 11, Jesus speaks about this. He says, by this, my father is glorified. This is how we glorify God, that you bear much fruit. There should be some effect of, of your relationship with God. It's not just a religion. It's not just coming to church. It's not just jumping through hoops or being pious or, or following principles. No, there's an actual relationship that you have with God as, a, as your creator, an authentic, genuine relationship that produces fruit, and that fruit glorifies God because it reveals God to the world. And in this way, we prove to be Jesus' disciples. When we're following him, there will be fruit. So prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. Don't just, don't just visit Jesus on the weekends, but abide with him. So many people think that Jesus lives in this building. Like we set up a little cot in the corner, a bed and some water, and Jesus just, you know, he sleeps there and he waits for you to come back next Sunday. And he's heartbroken when you don't show up because you decided to play golf instead. No, Jesus doesn't live in this building. We, we can't house the presence of God like that. 
He, he can't be held or, or restricted by buildings built by the hands of man. No, God is with you. He goes with you. He's always with you. And so he says we are to abide in that love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. God's not saying that his love is, is uh, dependent on your commandment keeping. He's saying that by walking in the call of God, you will continually experience his love. You will keep yourself in the place where just being surrendered to God, you will, instead of pursuing the love of the world and the love for things and, and, and the love of money and the love of, you'll keep yourself in a place where your main focus, your main comfort, your main joy will always be his love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. There's such an element of trust there. I keep his commandments because I know he loves me. I know he has what's best for me. I know that in God giving me his commandments is not trying to rob me or restrict me of my freedoms. No, he's actually trying to give me his joy. Listen to how Jesus says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full maximum joy. Jesus is like, just trust God, abide in his love and, and, and follow his ways and you will experience full joy in life, the key to happiness. But when we start following the temptations that the enemy brings in front of us as he tries to distract us and trip us up in this race that we run, when we start to believe the lies that our culture has sown into our minds, you know, uh, the, uh, the culture of this world is discipling you. Jesus says, but if you abide in me, if you are my disciple, if my fruit is growing on your tree, you will begin to see how full my joy is. So isn't it amazing that what God desires for your life is maximum joy, maximum fulfillment. He's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something to you. It's so counterintuitive. I thought that making myself the highest priority was the key to happiness. How many of you have heard people say, I just need some me time. It's time for me to take care of me. I'm just going to live my truth and not care what others say. It's laughable how erroneous this world is about self-care. How far we have moved away from what it really means to follow Jesus. What it really means to be filled in joy. Because we have just simply made ourselves the center of our own universes. Everything revolves around me is, 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 is the the position of the human heart, the evil position of the human heart. But God calls us to something different. Spoiler alert for all those who say, I'm just gonna take care of me now. You're going to be desperately unhappy. You can try it out if you want. Go ahead, it's your life. We'll see you in a month or so when you come back desperately unhappy going, it didn't work. The sad thing is some people spend their whole lives. If I can just get a, Beach house in Monaco. Do they have a beach in Monaco? <laughs> I know there's a sea. A yacht. Let's go with a yacht instead. If I could just get a yacht in, in Monaco, that, that would be it. That, I would be happy. 
Go and ask those people if they're happy. They might be rich, but they're not happy. They might have a lot, but they're empty. It doesn't necessarily translate. And so we already know that. We know that happiness isn't produced in the things that we possess. It's like eating something that promises to be sweet. But then as you chew on it and as you swallow it, it becomes bitter. It leaves us disillusioned. And if you haven't experienced this yet, you simply haven't lived long enough. Those things that we think, this is it. This is what's going to make me happy. And then as you consume it, you realize it's bitter. It doesn't produce what I thought it was going to produce. But Jesus wants to give us maximum joy. He wants to cause our joy to be complete. And it happens as we abide in him, as we surrender to him, as we give our lives to him and, and make his call on our lives our main pursuit. Paul's writing to the Philippians from prison after they sent him a financial gift of support for his ministry. He's imprisoned in Rome and, and they send a guy by the name of Epaphroditus with a gift, financial gift to Paul and they deliver it. And as he's delivering it, Paul writes them a letter to thank them. But he's writing in what was very common in Greco-Roman times was a letter of friendship. It, this, is, this letter is written not as a doctrinal letter primarily, but as a letter of friendship. And one of the, the, the common things that you would do in a letter of friendship written in those days is that you would update those that have, that have uh, inquired about your well-being with an update on how you're doing. So the Philippians, they're, they're obviously, they care about Paul. They've sent him this gift. They want to know if he's doing okay. They know he's in prison. They know he's being charged for preaching the gospel. And they're desperately wanting to know how he is. And so Paul writes to them and gives them in this first chapter a bit of an update on how he's doing. Thanking them for the gift. And, 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 and he starts by you know, saying, let me, let me tell you how I'm doing. Now you might expect Paul, who is imprisoned in Rome, to say something along the lines of, please pray for me, things are not going well. Things are not great right now. I'm in prison. The food is terrible. The guards are cruel. The, the air is damp. The concrete is cold. Send help. I imagine if I was in Paul's position, I would, say, I would send them a letter saying, next time you send me a, a gift basket, send me something useful, like a crowbar. You know, help me get out of here. But instead, Paul updates his friends like this. Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. And we can pause right there. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you were writing this letter, let's say you went off to preach the gospel. And as you were preaching the gospel in whatever part of the world, you were arrested, falsely accused, imprisoned. And we heard about it here in Joburg, and we sent you a gift basket and some financial support and fi to find out how you were doing. And we sent maybe Will across, and Will brings the, the basket and says, hey, we really, how are you doing? And you write a letter back to us. You say, I want you to know that what has happened to me, how would you complete the sentence? How often when we face hardship, when we face difficulty, do we finish that sentence by saying things like, what has happened to me, 
makes me think that God has forgotten me. It was literally the voice note I got this week. And I get similar voice notes every week. This has gone wrong. Why has God forgotten me? This isn't working out. Why is God punishing me? What has happened to me is incredibly unfair. It's terrible. And I'm angry with God. It's so wrong and unjust. What did I do to deserve this? These are the things that in one form or another, we all say when things are hard or when things go bad. Why does everybody else get to be free and pursue life, liberty, and happiness, and I am sitting here in prison? That's how we answer. You know why? Our main focus is us. I want what I want, and I don't want to be here. And so we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. And we begin to bemoan our situation because that's our focus. Paul's trying to give them an update on how he's doing, but he doesn't get five words in before he just shares what he's really passionate about. He just goes straight back to what he's truly pursuing in life. Look at how Paul ends the sentence. Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Where is he finding his joy? What's his key to happiness? His own personal circumstances? Absolutely not. He's finding it in the advance of the gospel. The message is getting out. It doesn't matter what happens to me as long as what happens to me helps me share the gospel with others. If it gives me a platform, if it gives me an opportunity, if it gives me some compassion, if it gives me a heart for others, if it's shaping Christ within me, that's my goal. So that's what makes me happy. Not perfect circumstance, but the work of the Spirit within me and the gospel being preached through me. When we make that our goal in life, we will be happy. Happiness won't be the thing that we pursue, but it will be a byproduct of what we're pursuing. It will be the result of what we're pursuing, even though we're not looking for it, we're just looking to Jesus. And so he says, it doesn't matter. Hey, yeah, I'm in prison. I just want to let you guys know, I know you're worried about me. I just want to let you know, I'm sitting in prison. Yes, you know, the guards are here, the floor's cold, you know, the food's not great, but I want to let you know, I am so overjoyed right now because it has helped me to share the gospel. It's advancing the gospel. You see, when Paul said he was a servant of Christ, when he identified as a servant of Jesus Christ, even as Philippians 2 tells us, Jesus identified as a servant, first and foremost. When Paul said that, he wasn't just trying to be cute on a Christian post on Instagram. It's not just something he tweeted in order to seem pious or religious. It was the posture of his life. It's how he believed. It was his attitude that directed all of his pursuits, and it informed how he would deal with hardship. I'm a servant. Oh, but you're going through such hard times right now. I'm a servant. But they've locked you up. They're keeping you under lock and key. They've chained you. You're bound right now. You're sitting in the belly of the earth there in a cold, damp place. But I'm a servant. My joy is complete. Does what I'm doing serve God? Yes, it's advancing the gospel. Then I'm joyful. Then I rejoice. 
I can't be overwhelmed. I can't be overcome. My joy can't be taken from me because it has served to advance the gospel. Listen to how he says, he continues in, in verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is going to lead somewhere. It's going to bring some deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. He's like, I'm just so joyful about the fact that in my body and what I go through, Christ can be honored, whether by life or by death. For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. As a servant of Jesus, my goal in life is one thing and one thing only, and that is that Christ would be honored in my body. And so that means that if I am living in my everyday life, I'm going to live in a way that honors Christ, that loves people, that reveals the goodness of God, that preaches the gospel. But if I can be a testimony to God by dying physically, man, as long as he's honored in my body, whether I live or I die, for me to live as Christ, if I'm living, I'm living for Christ. If I'm dying, I'm the one who gains. How powerful that attitude of a true servant. He's saying that no matter what happens at the end of the day, if we walk in and abide in the love of Jesus and, and follow his call for our lives, our joy will be complete. No matter what happens, we will rejoice. No matter what comes against us, we will win. Because when our goal is happiness, every time things go wrong, we're unhappy. The word happiness comes from happenings. And so we pursue the perfect moment. And, and how many of you know that it's a fallacy? Life is never perfect. There's always something that you could look at, that you could focus on, that would make you unhappy. But when your goal is glorifying Christ, you're no longer bound by set parameters. Because your life can now honor God regardless of the circumstance, good or bad, living or dying. It can honor God. It can glorify Christ. So you rise above the level of your circumstances and stand fulfilled by the eternal purposes of God. You overcome, you win, no matter what happens. In life or in death, we win. Paul says, I'm gonna get out of this prison in one of two ways. They're either gonna release me, which means that you know, I, I can come and help you more and encourage you more, or I could die in this prison. But I'm okay with either because my joy is squarely in one thing and that is bringing glory to Jesus. Listen to what Paul says happened with this attitude. And if we go back to Philippians 1, 12 to 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God. Even those enforcing Paul's imprisonment are being testified to simultaneously. Sometimes the way that we handle hardship testifies to the very people that are causing the hardship. 
the way we respond to persecution, to betrayal, to, to those that wish to do us harm, preaches the gospel to the very ones that are doing the harm. The whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's what Paul cares about. How am I glorifying Christ? How am I encouraging others? If you're doing those two things, nothing else really matters, does it? We're fulfilled. Even the soldiers knew what Paul's mission was. He's supposed to be writing about how he's doing. He's supposed to be writing about what his circumstances are, but he doesn't really care about his circumstances. He cares about people. And so he goes on to say that the only reason why he wants to remain on this earth, the only reason why he, he hopes that he won't be put to death is for their benefit. In verse 22, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm going to live in my flesh, I just want to be fruitful. I want to work and produce fruit. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. I'd prefer to, if they just put me to death and I could just go and be with Jesus. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He's like, man, I just, I just long to go and be with Jesus. If my death can glorify Him and I can go and be with Him, that's the ultimate. That's the prize, the upward call. But you know, I want you to experience the joy that I've been able to experience since I gave my life to Jesus. And so I'm confident that God is gonna ask me to stay a little longer so that I can help you get there too. I want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to feel what I've felt. I want you to know what I know. I want you to, to be able to let go of the things of this world so that you can take hold of all the joy that God has in store for you. So if that means I have to stay behind, that's cool. I'm just gonna work to see God produce that fruit in you also. That's why I'm staying behind. My reason for sticking around are not to further my own pursuits or my selfish desires, but help you progress in joy and in faith. Because joy ultimately surpasses understanding. It's greater than happiness. The key to happiness is not happiness at all, it's joy. It's the joy that is found in Jesus. Jesus gave us a clue to how we will experience that full joy when He spoke in John 15, that verse that I just read, those verses I just read. The very next verse, He says this. He says, I want your joy to be complete, to be full. The very next verse in verse 12, He says, this is my commandment. He says, if you keep my commandments, your joy will be full. Well, what is your commandment, Jesus? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Well, Philippians 2 says, He emptied Himself and died on a cross. If you want complete joy, love others the way I've loved you. Empty yourself 
and live so that the fruit of God may be produced in their lives. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus also, who emptied himself. So we get to do what Jesus did. We get to do what Paul did. We get to do what Timothy and Epaphroditus did. We get to give ourselves up so others may live. He goes on to speak a little bit about those who preach the gospel out of envy and, and selfishness and, and, and wishing to, to enrich themselves. And we all know that there are those that do this, even in our world today. And I think it's such a lack of focus and direction when pastors make the sole focus of their entire ministry calling out those who preach the gospel with the wrong motives. They're like anti-preachers, preachers. Paul says, I know that there are people who do this for selfish gain. I know that there are people that are doing it because they're trying to, I'm imprisoned and they're trying to in some way take my place. But he says, but I rejoice in this fact that whether they're doing it from a pure heart or whether they're doing it out of selfishness, at least the gospel is being preached. Why is Paul not able to be dragged into those ugly politics? Because he only cares about one thing, the advance of the gospel. And so if somebody's preaching Jesus, that's fine. That's what I care about. I don't have to upset myself and get caught, pulled into the drama I'm just happy the gospel's being preached. So I thought I would end the service this morning by allowing us just a minute or two to reflect and to ask ourselves these questions. I'm gonna ask you to just do something for me right now, just before we end. If you just go ahead and, and close your eyes right now. The first question I want to ask, if you can ask yourself this question, what am I pursuing? Just go ahead. Take a minute. What are you pursuing? What are you running after? What are you chasing? If you're honest with yourself today, where are you finding your happiness or hoping to find your happiness? The next question, what is God asking you to stop pursuing? What has become a rival to God in your life? That thing that if we took it out of your life, you'd say, I would no longer be happy. Now God gives good gifts. He's not against us having good things. He blesses us with things many times. The only danger is when those things become our source of joy as opposed to Jesus. What is God asking you to lay down to today? And then instead, 
how can you move closer to Jesus's insight of how we could have complete joy? What could you pick up and run with in order to experience this kind of joy? How can you advance the gospel? How can you build the kingdom? How can you find your joy in Jesus? Practically, what can you do? Take a minute. Final question. If we fast forward your life five or 10 years from now, how will you know if you've lived the life that God called you to? How will you know? If you got to the end of your life and you looked back, what measurement would you use to say, I truly lived the, the life God wanted me to live? What would that, that, that look like for you? Okay, you can open up your eyes. Isn't it amazing how just a few questions can bring us to a point of focus and clarity? That thing that you saw that the Holy Spirit inspired in your heart, that when I get to the end of my life, I wanna know that I've done this. You can start pursuing that today. For us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is the key to happiness. That is the key to maximum joy. Amen? Amen, won't you stand with me this morning?